Continuing our series of interviews celebrating Black History Month in the UK, Ijima catch up with our heroes and sheroes throughout the month. Last week, we spoke with entrepreneur and skateboarder Jay Nichols. And this week, we're going back to Barbados to meet Tina Best, fast bowler, playboy and author. He's recently written his own autobiography called Mind the Windows. Tino is a West Indian cricketer. Since 2002, he has played domestic cricket for his native Barbados with a season at the English club Yorkshire in 2010. Best made his test debut in May 2003 and played his first one-day international a year later. Tino Best brought qualities to the West Indies bowling attack that were missing for too long. Aggressive, confident and energetic, the 5 foot 8 inches Best carries the fight to the very end. He topped the regional averages in 2003 and was selected for the third test at home to Australia in May 2003, although he didn't take a wicket. Welcome to Tino after a decade-long international career. Tino Best, in his latest interview, says, I've given up the Playboy lifestyle and I'm a reformed man. Let's see if that's true. We're going over to Barbados now to meet the man himself, Tino Best. I retired back in 2017. I, I just felt that it was time enough. I retired at 36 years old. I mean, I've been bowling at 90 miles an hour for, like, what, 18 years? So yeah. I started to get a little tired, like, I'm waking up, preparing myself mentally to play a game, to run in and bowl. And then, you know, like, sometimes, like, as a fast bowler, and anybody that used to bowl fast got this energy about them, like, when that energy is gone, like, when you know you can run in and you can't get to 92, 93 miles an hour and you're barely getting up to, like, 86, 87, I think it was time for me to say, you know what, I don't want to play past my best. I don't want to get embarrassed. So I, it's time to just, you know, hang up the boots and try to find another passion, basically. And have you found that other passion? Absolutely. I, I have been preparing for that for this moment for a long time, from since I was 16, 17 years old. I had the opportunity to play in the Army program, um, which is a Barbados Defense Force program here in Barbados. That it, takes some of the, it takes some of the most talented people who they think need guidance that can be potentially be good players. So they have, so the five disciplines are football, cricket, boxing, athletics, and table tennis. So I got the opportunity to join the BDF program. So when I got in there, I was my mindset was to be a professional cricketer, but also preparing to when cricket is finished, when I can be able to bowl or bat or feel or enjoy what I love from a kid. So my other passion, my other two passions was fitness, which is strength and conditioning, and commentary. So those are my two two things I absolutely love. So I was always preparing to go into those as soon as I finished playing cricket. So I'm kind of excited for the next 20, 30 years of my life that God allowed me to breathe in this year. Well, it's not like your average career where you work in an office and you retire at 60. You retire at, you know, incredibly young age. And like you say, you've got the rest of your life to live. So it's good to hear that you've thought about that. And it sounds amazing what you're doing. And I bet you, you've got the gift of the gab. So you must make a great commentary. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you something that kind of made the headlines over here. You have just written an autobiography called Mind the Windows. One of the headlines that caught my eye was, I've given up the Playboy lifestyle and I'm a uh-huh. reformed man. Is that still the case? <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, look, look I'll, I'll tell you this, Moran, because obviously, yeah. you know, extracts make books sell. So, but it, it's not really a case about the numbers, because when you're when you're a popular guy and you, you travel in the world, 
women do throw themselves at you. And I was single. I wasn't married. It wasn't like I was cheating on anyone. I was a single man. What has transpired is that when I was about 20 years old, as the story goes, I, I, I probably talked in audible, but you can get the autobiography anyway. I was about 20 years old. I made Barbados theme for the first time. And I had been with my son's mother for like five years. We were about 15, 16 years old. I mean, we were cool, but I wanted to get in with the guys. And, you know, the guys were sitting around stretching and we start talking about girls. And, you know, this girl was on TV. Uh, I don't call names, but yeah. this girl was a big presenter on TV and she was really gorgeous. And I, as presumptuous as I, as I was as a young man, I said, you know what, well, I, can, I can date that young lady. I think that I am charmed. I have enough charm and I have the gift of the gap. I can talk her up. And there was a bet on the team, the bet with the guys. And the guys said, oh, every day or we are going to pay for dinner. And I said, what? So this is, this is a little challenge for me. I, this is my icebreaker in the team. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and, I, and I try to be honest as always with people and tell them, look, let's talk reality. Reality is this. Look, I said to them, all right, cool. I'm gonna, I wrote this lady a letter and updating her. And my, my son's mom found out about it. And, and, she, and she broke up with me. And I, I, I told her, look, I'm going to be a big cricket star. We're going to build a beautiful home. We're going to have, like, two more kids. Why break up with me? Like, And she was, like, n- having none of it. So I was like, okay. There was a two-year-old son and my girlfriend that I loved because of a stupid bat. I, I, I wasn't with her. And I just said, you know what? I'm just going to live my life. I'm going to just enjoy. I'm going to indulge. You know, I don't think I'm a bad-looking guy. I think I'm, I'm quite attractive. Yeah, um, I grew up in a house of six women, so yeah, I they always that. say, "Try and blow your own whistle." I blow my own whistle. I don't wait for nobody to blow my whistle. <laughs> so, Good for you. So basically, what happened? I just enjoyed myself. If I go overseas, girls, and this was in the time of no social media. Yeah, um, girls, I would just go to the mall, and I, I would just, I never really liked groupies. I always felt groupies was a little dangerous, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't try to like be at a cricket game and try to to hustle a girl that was in the stands. Sure. I would never do that. I would probably go to the mall. Or, or, or go somewhere where I know that nobody didn't really know me. And I would yeah. just pull group because I thought I was that charming. And I just indulge. I mean, I just enjoy my life. So between 20 and maybe 28, I just, I didn't have any girlfriend. I was just like traveling the world, playing cricket for West Indies and Barbados. And I just indulge. I just enjoy myself. I protected myself, of course. Yeah. And I just, I just enjoyed my life. I mean, and then it came a point like I was about twenty nine. I was like, I get tired now. <laughs> Yo, it's, it's, it's time to grow up a bit now. Like you know. And then obviously, girls started to get really emotional about me as well because girls older. wanted to settle down. Yeah. Then I have situations that you know girls will be coming and fight over me at the house, and then my mom will be upset. She's like, Tino, like, come on, grow up and stop playing every girl and. And then my mom was like getting upset, so I was like, okay. Oh. And then my mom was like, you know, like you're 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 just finished building a house. It doesn't look good in your new neighborhood that you got two and three girls coming and fighting over you, and it's foolishness. So please grow. So I think that was a little kick at the butt as well. Oh. So I kind of like started to relax a little bit more, and then she told me, you know, like concentrate. You know, you got you got a son. You know, you need to set a proper example. You know, and I I just started to behave myself a lot more. And then I had a daughter, and then she completely transformed my life and my attitude. But mm-hmm. understand this: when a guy has girls, or if a guy is is single, like I never would disrespect women. I think that's why when I was younger, girls will always want to be around me because I knew how to treat a woman. Yeah. Even if you weren't my girlfriend, I treat you like a proper woman. So yeah. I open the door for you. I would take you to dinner. So emotionally, <laughs> you will always get attached to me. So I wonder so why. Like, <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't like a situation that I always like. I just like use women as a, uh, you know, just disposable yeah. women, like disposable objects. Yeah. I yeah. always treated a woman properly. So women have always respected me. There's any girl that I used to talk to back in the day will always 
message me on my birthday, Christmas. Hi, how you already know? I just want to shout you and make sure that you're good. And yeah. Uh, and yeah, so it was always respect. So yeah, that that's that's the situation of me as a as a young man, me as a mature man. You know, I I, I kind of like behave myself now. Yeah, it's really <laughs> it's really cool listening to how you speak. Do you know what I mean? You're not you're not ashamed. You're not embarrassed about anything nah, you've no, done. You know, life, you you man. and and hearing you the way you speak about women as well, and that you respect your mum. It sounds like I'm a single mum, and my son doesn't have his dad in his life, and I you know I'm gutted about that. And how did it affect you not having your dad in your life? No, it didn't really. I mean, my dad was yeah. a crack cocaine. Oh, was he? 30 years right yeah. right that's why you got to read the autobiography because when Sorry. you read the autobiography you, you really it really humbles you and it really puts me in a light that you can't understand me because it was like as a kid growing up my dad never watched me play cricket for barbados or west indies but i love my dad i Aww. absolutely love my dad but my dad wasn't a wrong but Aww. the reason why i love my dad so much is because i have so much love from the six women in my life my grandmother and her five daughters including my mom yeah. i had so much love from my four aunts my mommy my oh. grandmother, like everybody loved me, and it was so much love. And then, in terms of that male figure, because a man, a young boy, do want a male figure, he has to yes. have a male. Figure. My male figure for me was my uncle Carl Ives, who played cricket for West Indies as well. Oh, wow. So that was an absolute honor. So as a kid growing up, I forgot about my father. I forgot I had a father because every Saturday and Sunday I used to go cricket with my uncle, and I felt like an absolute legend because I felt so proud to even have the same surname as my uncle. Those six women is who really crafted me in terms of like attitude. Like my grandmother taught me the five minute rule. My five minute rule, I, I talk about this in the book is I'd be disappointed for five minutes. Literally. I mean, over the years I've got I've gotten better at it. When I got disappointed in cricket when I didn't make the team, I go and train harder. I never I never took it out and say, you know, I hate this person, I vex that this person that give me a, a pick on the team. I just go and train harder because I try to tell my kids this. My son is 19. My daughter is sad. Do not worry about things you can't control. You go, you have to concentrate on what you can control. Yes. If you're going to do an exam and you fail, you can't be vexed at the tutor. You can't be vexed at the person marking the paper. You've got to be vexed at yourself because of your preparation. If you don't prepare, prepare to fail. And that is my attitude. That was a military attitude. And that was an attitude that my grandmother instilled in me as a kid. It's like after we were sweeping the yard on a Saturday morning as a kid before breakfast, we used to have to do our chores. And I didn't do the chore properly. My grandmother would say, listen, if you're going to sweep the yard, be the best yard sweeper. And I kind of like put that in every aspect of my life. And I think it's a fantastic attribute I do have. Like I get disappointed, of course, I'm human. I don't dwell on it. I forget about it very quickly and try to move on to the next. So that's what you mean by the five-minute rule? Yes. You just be disappointed about it for five minutes and then okay. done with that. Like, forget about that. Like, I know it's hard for people, but the thing about it is that because I was trained as a kid to not dwell on disappointments, I think it's helped me tremendously as a man. It's, and, and I hope my kids can continue to that attitude. And anyone they come into contact with, I try to tell them about it. But, you know, everyone is different. So no, but it, Tina, it's, it's quite hard. You are oozing positivity and and like a love <laughs> for life. I can feel it across the world here. Do you know what I mean? Literally, there's that spark and that, that pizzazz in your voice and that obvious love for life. It just, yeah, it's just you can't ignore it. It's, it's fantastic. What bowling performance are you most proud of? I think one of the best. Oh, man, that's a tough one, John. <laughs> I would probably say being injured and, and, to, and to perform for West Indies is, is, is something that I absolutely love. So I would say back in November 2012, we were playing a test match in, in Kulna, Bangladesh. Oh. And I pulled a hamstring. And 
this hamstring, I pulled my, I think it was my right hamstring. And the guy, Darren Sammy, came to me and said, Tino, if you don't bowl in this game, we are going to lose this match. And they're going to draw the series. And it's not going to go down well with the rest of this problem. So I said, you know what? Mine over matter. I'm going to take some injections. I took three on injections in my hamstring. I told my, I told the, I told the physio, tape me as tight as possible. I ran in and bowled. And I got six wickets for 40 <gasps> runs, which is my best bowling figures ever in best cricket. And I did it on one foot. <laughs> <gasps> that's so, incredible. Yeah. So I think I think that's like that was like the, the military came more than me. Like I had yes. one leg and I just usually I'm a bustling bowler. Yeah. I just ran in and controlled the ball beautifully and got my best career figures of six for forty. And also the game before that, I got five wickets for twenty runs and won the game for West Indies as well. So I so in two games I bowled the West Indies to victory. In one game I was fit, in the next game I wasn't fit. But it was the attitude. It was yeah. the mindset. So I, I think that was the military in me. That was the determination in my in me and, and as a kid. I mean no athlete wants to play injured, but sometimes you gotta go through that pain barrier. And I think that was one of the best times of my career just to, to prove to myself that Yes, you know, if, if I show heart and I show guts and I show determination, I think that I could I could get over anything in life. I would probably say another great day for me bowling wise because bowlers got a lot of good days. Huh? I would probably say my second test match I played against England and getting three wickets for fifty runs against England and bowling the absolute speed of song. And Mark Butcher was talking about it up to last week on on CPL. We were talking, and he was talking about that, and he was saying that was the quick one of the quickest times anyone has ever bowled at me. I was 22 years old. I think I got up to about maybe 95, 96 miles an hour, and I I remember hitting Mark Butcher in the head and stunning him. Oh. If we were playing in this game in this day and age, I think he would have been out for like three weeks of concussion. Yeah. But he's such a tough man as well. That's why he talks about it all the time because he got stunned, and it's incredible that know that I'm retired or, or my son sent me a clip of me bowling and stuff it's like wow like I was that fast like yeah. I can't even like watching it gets me tired <laughs> I'd be like yeah. wow like I can't even imagine like doing that right now like I'll be so tired I, I couldn't even get that done Dad. yeah and and then what was what was awesome for me was my uncle highest test score against England was 164 runs wow. at Kensington Oval I saw that there as I saw that performance as a 9 year old kid in 1990 and that is what inspired me to the West Indies and then I had an opportunity Miranda to score 100 against England and I mucked it up <gasps> I came in and batted at number 11 and I'm like no number 11 are like the last spot in the team Yeah, but I was always a, a decent batter and I scored 95 runs Wow. Oh, I know. That was, yeah, the time you scored 95 in a test match against England. Yes. That's not bad for number 11. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I then I hit a six, a damn six to break my 100. And I got out. That was an incredible moment for me because I just made back the team, just got them back into the squad after being dropped for like two years. Right. And I mean, it was just an awesome, uh, awesome performance. So when I look back at it now, I was like, Bro, that you scored ninety five at last, like that is incredible. So those are the, the moments for me. And when people bring them up or people mention them to me, that give me goosebumps because yeah. I know that, yeah, you know, like I will be remembered in history for forever. So yeah, you I think will. Those are the great times. Yeah, yeah it's so amazing. fire on! Come on, let me hear these questions. Okay, which batsman do you least like bowling to? I think Kumar, I think Kumar Sangakara from from Sri Lanka. Yeah. He was absolutely phenomenal. The thing about him is that he doesn't care about you sledging him. He just bats and bats and bats. And he was so difficult to bowl at, like, because he had so much time on the ball. And, you know, he was one of those guys that you go into the opposing dressing room and you give him a hug and say, bro, you good? And he laughed. He's like, bro, I love your competitiveness. For him to say that to me, that was incredible because he was someone that, even though he wasn't a bowler, he was a batsman, but he was just a terrific human being. 
and and you know apart from playing this game at a high level and you know you all they're fighting for your country honor and stuff it's just that human element of it that is so humbling especially with the Sri Lankans like I mean a lot of cricketers all over the world are humble but the Sri Lankans just ooze humility like it was it was oh. different for them it was like wow it's like these guys like, were so loving they were so understanding they were like and so that was one team I never really sledged I never really tried to to be naughty to them um <laughs> Uh, because they were such nice people, so yeah, yeah, I, I would say Kumar Sangakkara is probably the best um, batsman I've ever bowled at. Bowled at. Amazing. Okay, uh, what do you think of women's cricket? I think women's cricket has its place. I think I love it. I I have a daughter. Come on, my daughter would beat me if <laughs> she hears me saying anything bad about women's cricket. Uh, my girl, my my daughter more into women's football. She loves so. What, 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 what's your daughter's name? Oh, her name is. Talia. Talia. Um, she's, Lovely. Yeah, she's seven years old. Uh, my son' name is Tamani. Talia. And he's Tamani. nineteen. Beautiful. Yeah, he's nineteen. Great. Um, yeah, I think women's cricket is taking off tremendously. I think we have the Australian team. Oh man, they're like awesome. Yeah. Like I saw those women playing. They're just like so dominant, so strong, so passionate. Um, the the West Indies women are good as well. I think England is good as well. But the Australians, I mean, man, come on, hands down, um, they're probably some of the most talented women I've ever seen. And I think it is growing in stature. Um, what I would love to see is that they get paid well also. I think that they, they, because they're on TV, and I think they should get yeah. TV money if they're on TV. And I think they should they should get equal pay. And I just think that they should be treated fairly because they're human beings as well. So that's something I would love to see um, happen. I would love to see um, the, the women's game um, like the men's game. Um, they're working for equal pay in terms of like they can come and get a home, get a mortgage, look after their family as well because... It's not an amateur sport anymore. It's international cricket. You're on television. People pay, subscribe, pay the, the bills to watch you on television. So I think you should get equal pay. Absolutely. Well, across the board, isn't it? You know, it doesn't matter what yeah. the career is. Once this you, gender pay paid, gap, I mean, yeah, it's ridiculous, isn't it? It's been <laughs> an absolute privilege. And it's so refreshing to hear your attitude uh, towards women, towards your children, you know, just your whole ethos about working life, the world, the universe. It's an inspiration. It's been a real honour to speak to you. Thank you, Tina. The pledge is absolutely mine. So I'm going to send some sunshine from Barbados up your way. I hope you I good. wish. So God bless, be safe, and thank you so very much for giving me the opportunity. Cheers.